morning, everybody. Before we <clears throat> look at the scripture today, I want to just, on behalf of the pastoral staff, what is that? Anyway, I want to thank each of you for being so good and generous to us um, always. Um, and I want to thank you for the Christmas gift that you gave to all three of us. I'm going to believe that it is from the generosity of your hearts, not because the encouragement to give came from the sheriff <laughs> who has badge and I think his gun um, a week or two ago. Um, anyway, you're a wonderful congregation, have always been, and we want you to know we love you and just thank you. This is New Year's Day. I don't know how often was every seven years or something that um, New Year's and Christmas falls on a Sunday. Um, but the scripture that I want to use suggesting the best resolution we could possibly make is found in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. And <clears throat> it's not a real long chapter. I'll read most of it. After all of the instructions that Paul gives Timothy to give to the congregation that he's ministering to, he concludes that set of instructions in 6-2. Then in verse 3, he really begins his closing remarks. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life 
to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, with whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, I was thinking whether or not we could make the case for resolutions from Scripture on New Year's Day or whatever. I don't know about that, the turn of the year, but we always make resolutions. Almost all of them. We make them in three areas, probably. Materially. I mean, it can be as material as finishing some project in the yard. This year, we're finally going to do such and such. They're mental resolutions to learn, to read, to do, to inform myself better, so forth. Third, there's the moral, spiritual realm, which is obviously most important. I have no idea what is going on. Anyway, this has never happened. I don't think. Anyway, we'll resolve to fix this. <laughs> Moral, spiritual resolutions are obviously the most important, and they have great influence on how well we carry out material and mental resolutions. Something about resolutions, too, regardless of what they are, they're always, at least in normal situations, they're always for betterment, for improvement. No one that I'm aware of says, you know, I want to get in worse shape this year than I have ever been. I'm going to cancel my rec center um, membership and I'm going to eat bonbons and this is going to be a good year. Nobody does that. I don't know any Christians, professing Christians, barely Christians, who, who would say, maybe get me a hand mic or something. 
That's going to drive me nuts. Okay. Is this on? Yeah. <clears throat> no one resolves to be worse. No, no Christian, even half-religious person, says, uh, this year I'm going to make sure I don't read the Bible. I don't grow closer to God. Nobody does that. All of that inclination to always resolve for betterment is an indication that we know a standard and we have in many cases a sense of falling short of it. We know that. It bothers us. We want to therefore improve. We end up often disappointed in ourselves because we don't keep the resolution to be better. I, I've been in church, been pastoring for all my life. And I can't tell you the number of people that resolve, this year I will read the whole Bible all the way through. This year I will do such and such. This year... I will improve my prayer life. I'll spend more time praying. I'll spend more time looking for those I can witness to. I will volunteer even in the nursery. I'll be really spiritual. But we fall short. We know there's a standard somewhere. And we recognize sometimes we're um, unwise in resolutions we make. But most of the time, they're reasonable. We find ourselves falling short. There are, I think, three specific resolutions that Paul mentions for lifetime, not just for a new year, but for life. This is his final letter to Timothy. We don't know how soon after the conclusion of this letter he was beheaded for the faith. But this is his last testimony and testament to Timothy. These things keep, hold them dear. And we find them here in, after the instructions of things to avoid in 2 through 10, verse 11, flee these things. The first resolution, flee. Flee whatever waters down your affection for God. Whatever in some way weakens your resolution. In some way hinders you. Flee whatever does not draw me closer to God. John Wesley's mother, Susanna Wesley, wrote when he went off to school, went to Oxford, she wrote to him a letter reminding him to flee whatever, and she defined it this way. She said, son, 
whatever cools your affection for God is sin to you. Whatever dampens my relationship, makes me feel somewhat estranged, makes me feel a bit removed, uh, or a sense of God's frown upon me. Things I may read, watch, participate in, whatever. Whatever cools my affection for God. It's sin. A resolution is flee. Flee these things. What does the word flee imply? It implies fatal danger. We flee that which is dangerous to us, is hurtful. And in fleeing, often we may abandon something that is desirable to us or valuable to us. It suddenly, whatever it may be, a bunch of us were down on the beach in Oregon when we were in high school and one of, the, one of our friends drove. It was his car we were in. And like most people, um, have no sense. We were 16 and 17. No, nothing but a functioning brain stem at that age. You know what I mean? Your heart and lungs work, that's it. No, uh, we didn't care what the sign said. We didn't care that we grew up going to the Oregon coast and we had seen countless people get stuck on the beach. We'd, we weren't going to get stuck. So we talk our friend into taking his car on the beach. We go on the beach. We get too close to the water where it was still, you know, soaked and the sand was wet and hit a soft spot, sink immediately to the hubs. Well, I don't recall that this was some great vehicle he had. And for a while, you know, of course, we wanted to save it. So we're all out, we're digging with our hands, we're pushing, we're trying to do everything we can to get the thing out. But the tide was coming in. And the waves started going under the car. Then they started hitting hard enough that they were splashing clear over the top. And then we recognized there were some competing values there. And we decided that our lives and not drowning was more valuable than that car, especially since it wasn't mine, it was his. We fled, we got away and we felt like, okay, we'll sacrifice that because we're facing danger. Now a tow truck showed up and got us out, um, soaked the inside of the car and so forth. But flee implies that there are, there's a hierarchy of values and my soul, my relationship with God Eternity matters more than anything else. Flee, he said, all these things. 
that will lead me away. Twice in this little passage, these 18, 19 verses, he brings up the subject of wandering away, as this says, or straying away or falling away from the faith. The temptations, the snares the enemy lays can be fatal. And so he treats it as something, you flee it, even if it means you leave some things behind that don't matter. You flee it. The best resolution then that we can make, flee what the Holy Spirit and God's word let me know clearly, this will cool your affection for God. This will draw you away from God. This will lure you. James uses, when he talks about we're drawn away and enticed, hunting terms, and they have to do with somehow luring the prey that I'm after out of the safety of their den or whatever. Lure them out with something seeming fine and then they come down on the bait and are caught. James is saying the same thing Paul's saying to Timothy. Flee, flee. Second, there is in the very next verse, flee these things, you man of God, and then in this half of 11 and 12, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is not just avoid certain things, but pour your heart into, pour your heart into pursuing these other things. Flee. Focus, the second thing that we resolve, focus on righteousness, faith, love, peace, so forth, a good conscience. The word here for pursue is a real strong word, and it literally means to stalk prey as a predator does. This isn't then kind of nonchalant, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to be a little closer to God if I could get there and Lord help me with this and help me with that and help me with my, you know, help us find a new car and, and then, no. It's, it is focusing single-heartedly, single-mindedly, Lord, I want, I want to walk with you. I don't care what the cost. I will stand with you. I will, by my best strength, as you give me, I will keep the faith. I will walk with you. I don't care what the cost. Come what may, I'll walk with God. Focus on, like a predator on his prey, I will, I will obtain the grace of God, and walk with God with all my heart. 
there is a, well, there's the promises of God. Seek for me with your whole heart and you'll find. We are, we're in a culture where we are served, we're consumers, we want to know what God and other people, but it ends up reflecting on God, what he can do for me. And so we are entitled and we've, we feel he has to, he needs to serve us. We've reversed the order of God. We're to serve him. Focus. Finally, there's a third thing, and that's fight. Fight the good fight of faith. We are in a fight. And again, if there is no peril in this same letter, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, in the latter days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, seeking teachers, he said, who will scratch their itching ears, tell them what they want to hear. That's what I'm talking about. There is then a fight that we're in and the foe that we fight, we know is his power is great. Martin Luther, speaking of this foe, Satan, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. I won't get off the subject much, but let me try to explain how, how we're to fight and how we're not to fight. First of all, we cannot fight the devil, fight the good fight of faith in the flesh, meaning in our own strength, our own resolve. We don't have the strength to fight that foe and the subtle temptations and the fiery darts of doubt and temptation. I don't have the strength within myself to do that. David made a little, just a little statement that stands out in Psalm 16. He said, I always set the Lord before me. In other words, as some have put it, as the enemy comes at me, if I hide by faith behind Jesus, he has to run into Jesus before he gets to me. If I stay hidden in Jesus by faith, not trying to fight in the flesh, I'll be successful. A second thing, we cannot fight in what is the fake, a fake spiritual strength. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. There are all kinds of people today, there are a lot of teachings, a lot of beliefs that 
uh, talk about misuse, terribly misuse, a scripture that Jesus gave to the disciples and think that we can go around and dictate to Satan, I bind you, Satan. He doesn't pay attention to that. It has no effect on him at all. His craft and power are great. I don't have the power to stand up against him. So we don't go around with this rebuking the devil and all that. Let me give you an illustration. It's a bit humorous. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest in Ephesus, tried to enter a house, cast out the demon that possessed some person. And the, the um, exorcism formula that they used was in the name of Jesus and of Paul, we command you to come out. And the man, it says, in whom was the demon re responded. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? And then the man in whom the demon was tore into all seven of the priests or priest's sons. And it says they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I don't know their later history. Um, they may have taken down their shingle as being exorcists. I would. That's an example of still really in their own strength with, with a religious veneer fighting the enemy. We're not to fight like that. There's one weapon we have, and that's faith. Simple, not, not this fantastic name and claim. It's just a simple faith that says, I believe God. I believe his promises. I believe his word. I believe his character. I know he cannot lie. And the, there's a calm fight. It's not a frantic it's a calm, steadfast fighting in the faith. In the faith means according to biblical doctrine and truth. And second, it is that rejection of the word that I hear whispered that God will fail me, God doesn't hear me, I've prayed so long and it seems that there's not an answer anywhere. I can't seem to find God. My feelings are dark and heavy, and it seems like there is no light. What do I do? I choose, by the way, may not feel, I choose. I believe God. I believe. I believe. I trust him, and what kind of faith? It's the but-if-not faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O king, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid to answer you. 
we are not going to bow down. Our God, and here's, here's what I mean by, but if not, our God is able to deliver us. Too many people stop there. They stop right there. Our God's able. He's going to heal us. He's going to deliver. Maybe not. It may not be his mind. So they said, our God's able to deliver us. But if not, we still won't bow. We won't bend. We believe God. Facing the furnace. We know how that event ended. Resolve, I will believe God. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't, I am, we've got to remember, our, our feelings, our emotions are the most le least reliable faculties we have. But I have a will. I can choose. Paul speaks much in the book of Romans about the obedience of faith. Obedience involves your will. I choose to believe God. I don't care what I feel like. I believe God. That's what fighting the fight. And let me say this too. The devil doesn't get worried if we go around trying to bark orders to him and banish him and bind him and whatever. The cruelest, I think, the cruelest thing, the most... Um, hurtful thing I can ever do to the devil is just simply say, I don't believe you. I don't believe your taunts, your temptations, your doubts that you sow. I don't believe you. I believe Jesus. That's the meanest thing I can do to him. That's the way to fight the good fight of faith every day. That's not just a New Year resolution the rest of our days until we land safe on that happy shore we may need to make other resolutions to help us towards those major ones but I pray that God will prompt our hearts deeply mean it to resolve flee whatever would dim my view of God, what would, what would in any way cool my affection for him. Second, that we focus. Another word we could use here on focus is not only that word pursue, but Paul also said, lay hold, take a hold of eternal life. That's my focus. I want to make it to heaven. I want to please God. And then fight. Fight the good fight of faith. That's a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. I don't know what better resolutions as we stand at the threshold of a new year than that. May God help us to resolve to go through with God and be all his grace can make us.